Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I thank you for your presence and your your provision, and I pray that you would grow your kingdom uh, and grow your kingdom in this community. I pray for your blessings over every gift and every giver in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a couple real quick uh, announcements. One is uh, we want to welcome Tom Reese is here with us. He's the director of church planting in the uh, Pindale District of the Assemblies of God, and he's going to be leading us right after service uh, if you're able to stick around for a little while. Um, We're going to have a little ceremony. It's called a set-to-order ceremony. I've been talking about it a few weeks. Uh, Basically, uh, they're not handing this church over to me this afternoon. They're handing it over to you, and we're going to celebrate that. So uh, if you say this is my church home and I'm invested here, stick around. It's uh, probably five, ten minutes after service ends. We're just going to jump right in. We're going to celebrate, and then we're going to kick you out so we can go to lunch. All right? Uh, the only other announcements, baptisms in the Allegheny River coming up July 10th. So one of my favorite times of year, even if you're not uh, getting baptized, this is a family celebration. We do kind of a potluck. Uh, we have a, a pavilion out on the river that someone lets us use. So we go out there and we just celebrate as a family and have cake. So that's July 10th. If you want to get baptized, just let me know. And with that said, we're going to jump into a new series. We're starting a series today that I've had in mind for some time. And with Father's Day coming up next week, I thought it would be an appropriate time because it's called As the Father. Everybody say, As the Father. Father. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus would often use this phrase. uh, He would use it to relay uh, either to his disciples how they should live their lives or to illustrate the relationship that he had with the Father. So Jesus would say things like, be perfect as the Father is perfect. Or he would say, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Or on another occasion, he would say something like, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This morning, we're looking at a a passage in John chapter 20 that is so relevant to our church today, to us as believers. And uh, this morning, I was thinking it is so relevant to our graduates who are stepping into a new season of life. So uh, uh, to add a little context before we read, in John chapter 20, Jesus has completed his earthly ministry, his teachings, and uh, he's gone to the cross, given his life on the cross. He's risen from the grave, but the disciples have not yet encountered the risen Jesus until we get to John 20, verse 19. And we're going to read there. It says, uh, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Another way of saying that is in the same way or the same manner that the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now this morning if I said to you, in the same way my father-in-law drove to church this morning, I want you to drive to church next week, then you know two things. It's not just that I want you to drive to church next week. The key to that is how did he drive to church this week? That's the way you're going to understand how I want you to drive to church. And I know him well enough to know. You don't have to ask him if he's sped. Just ask him by how much. That's just how it works. 
But when Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, the key to understanding that is how did G uh, the Father send Jesus? Now, Jesus actually gets into some of the specifics of how he was sent by the Father. We're going to look at those specifics. But the first thing I want to look at is after he gives this instruction, as the Father has sent me, I, I, send, sent, or I send you, he immediately breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in a moment, we're going to ask the question, why does Jesus choose this moment to give them the Holy Spirit? But first, I want to look at the question, why does he breathe on them? for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Because in the book of Acts, people would receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And in fact, the more common physical connection that Jesus would make in these scenarios is the laying on of hands. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, they continued laying on of hands. Paul would teach the laying on of hands. He, he said things like, uh, stir up the gift that is inside of you through the laying on of hands. Now, there are some things uh, that I am glad did not become a doctrine in the church. I'm glad when Jesus spit on the dirt and made mud and rubbed it in their eyes, that didn't become a doctrine that we practice today. I'm glad that we don't breathe on one another uh, to, to pray for one another. Or I could call all the graduates back up and say, I forgot to breathe on you. Come back up. But why did Jesus breathe on them? It was actually very purposeful. What Jesus is doing in this moment in the spiritual is replicating something that took place in the physical thousands of years before. He is almost recreating a moment that took place in the Garden of Eden. We're going to read about it in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. It says, The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If we look at just the first part of that, it says the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground. Now at this moment, when man has been formed and he hasn't breathed into him, at this moment, uh, the work of God in a sense has been accomplished. All that remains is the breath of life because the Bible says at that moment, creation is complete. Uh, the six days of creation have come and gone. He's created the heavens and the earth. He's created the plants and the animals. He's even created mankind. The rest of the work of God has been accomplished. There's only one problem. Adam is lifeless. So what does God do? God breathes life into his nostrils. I was thinking of Ezekiel chapter 37 where the Bible says Ezekiel was taken by the Spirit of God into a valley of dry bones. All these dead dry bones with no life in them and God says prophesy to the bones and he does and there's a rattling noise and the bones begin to reform and then there are tendons forming on the bones and then flesh begins to form. But one thing was missing, there was still no life. So God said in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 9, he said to, uh, to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life, stood up on their feet, a vast army. So this moment in John chapter 20 that Jesus breathes on his disciples, and they receive the Holy Spirit, there is a spiritual resurrection taking place. Spiritually, they are moving from death to life. Just like in the garden, it's accomplished in the same way. Thousands of years before, it was the breath of God, the Spirit of God, that actually brought life. 
In the valley of dry bones, it was the breath of God, the spirit of God that brought life. This morning in Cranberry Community Church, it is the, the breath of God and the spirit of God that breathes life into dead places. John 6, 63 says the spirit brings life. The spirit gives life. When you receive the Holy Spirit, something takes place in the spiritual realm. It is a spiritual resurrection. Your spirit moves from a place of death to a place of life. Now, what is taking place in the spiritual realm, to some degree, should be reflected in the natural. To some degree, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive new life. You will experience new life. Uh, my friend gave me a book a few months back uh, called Fresh Wind. It's by Chris Hodges. Uh, and I don't want to stand up here and sound like I read a lot because I read like two chapters and then I got sidetracked. But in those two chapters, the book talks about this stretch of ocean. It's called the, the Intertropical Convergence Zone. It's more commonly referred to by sailors as the doldrums. The doldrums are a location. Uh, it's within five degrees of the uh, equator. And it's the place where the north winds collide with the south winds and they cancel one another out. And because of the heat of the equator, any residual wind, instead of going horizontal, it's lifted up because of the heat of the earth. So what happens if you're in a sailboat is you can get stuck in the doldrums for weeks waiting on wind to appear. And in fact, it can actually be deadly if you don't have an engine on your sailboat or if you don't have sufficient uh, food and water. And even though all this fresh wind brought you to that place, you can be stuck there for weeks on end with, with no wind, no breath moving your sails. You know, one of the most dangerous places that you can be in your spiritual life is in the spiritual doldrums, seasons where it is dry and stagnant and you just feel stuck and you haven't felt the Holy Spirit. Just, just like a sailboat, when there is no wind, you can feel stuck there for entire seasons of life. You know you have the Holy Spirit. You've experienced seasons of life and seasons of fresh wind. But maybe even this morning, you would say, I'm stuck in the doldrums. Can I say, first of all, it doesn't mean that you've lost the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't mean that you never had the Holy Spirit. This is actually the reason that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, and he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he used a, t used a tense that means to be continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, receiving the Holy Spirit is a one-time event occurs on salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is talking about is an infilling, a baptism, an overflowing of the Holy Spirit that he says, not only can this happen continuously, but I'm instructing that you should pursue this continuously. And this morning, if you say, I'm stuck in, in the doldrums, I haven't experienced the presence of God, what you should be praying over your life is just for fresh wind, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Jesus give them the Holy Spirit in this moment? And the answer is Jesus has shown them to this point what it looks like to be sent by the Father. But when he gives the Holy Spirit, he equips them to be sent in the same way. He equips them with the Holy Spirit to walk in their 
calling. And this morning, if three of you came to me after service and one of you said, Pastor, I really want to go scuba diving. And the next one said, I really want to go mountain climbing. And the next one said, I really want to go skydiving. All three of you would need to be equipped in three very specific in very different ways. It doesn't do any good to jump out of an airplane with an oxygen tank and flippers. You need to be equipped the right way. But what's amazing about the Holy Spirit is no matter your calling, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the ministry, whether it's on the mission field, no matter your calling, you are 100% equipped simply by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing more you need in this life to fulfill your calling in Christ than the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is showing in this moment is in order for the disciples to be sent in the same way that he was sent by the Father, they first need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, for somewhere around 30 years, Jesus actually walked in his earthly ministry or, or walked on the earth without operating in his ministry. What did he do, do for 30 years? The Bible says, for one, he was learning the scriptures. He was growing in wisdom and stature. But then something happens in Luke chapter 4. The Bible says Jesus spent 40 days being tempted by Satan, but it also specifies in that time that he was full of the Spirit of God and he was led by the Spirit of God. And Luke 4.14 says when he came out of the wilderness, he was empowered by the Spirit of God. And from that moment, once he is led and filled and empowered by the Spirit of God, then he launches into his ministry. And oh, by the way, the first message he preaches is, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. See, the key to Jesus being sent by the Father is it starts here being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is actually, uh, I find it really interesting. I'm kind of a Bible nerd, I guess, but uh, it's kind of implied in the language that Jesus used. If we look at John 20, 21 again, says, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I, I kind of uh, emboldened them here on the screen. He uses the word sent and the word sending. Uh, in the original language, those are completely different words, and not just because they're a different tense. He uses different words there. The first one, when he's talking about how Jesus was sent, is a Greek word, apostello. Uh, and what it means is, is basically to be properly sent or released out onto a, a mission. But then when he looks at the disciples and he says, and now I'm sending you, he uses a, a more aggressive word that means to thrust or to insert into something. Now what's implied by that, if something is thrusted, is there is a force behind it. So it's not just that you're released and you go out on your own and, and we hope you get things right, but the way he said you are being sent is you are being sent with a force behind you. And the very next moment after Jesus says, I'm releasing you with a force, he breathes on them and says, receive that force. Oh, that's so cool, church. He says, receive the force of the Holy Spirit that is going to aid you on your calling. So we've established that the Holy Spirit is vital to being sent the way that Jesus was sent. But what else does the Bible say about how he was sent? Now, there were several directions you can go with this. Jesus said, everything I say, I say because the Father said it to me. Everything I do is because I saw the Father doing it. Uh, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't carry your message 
out to the world today. You carry the gospel message. Jesus said, I just speak God's words. All you have to do is speak the words of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because in the gospel message is the power of salvation. In Pastor Joe's message is not the power of salvation unless I'm preaching the gospel because the gospel message has the power to save. But there's another passage of scripture that talks specifically about the purpose for which Jesus was sent. But I love it because before he talks about why he was sent, he first lets you know why he wasn't sent. Uh, you ever have to unlearn something before you can learn it the right way? Uh, I play a few different instruments, and one of the instruments I learned when I was younger is a piano, but um, I have a really low ceiling for how far I can go because when I began learning the piano, I developed a habit, I call it the claw. So that's how I play the piano. And you can only get so good at the piano if you play it that way. And I've tried to unlearn this habit so I can learn the right way, and I just can't because it's ingrained into my mind. When John, uh, Jesus uh, taught about how the Father sent him, when John wrote about it, he first said, you need to unlearn something. In John 3, 17, he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's just stay on that first half. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why did Jesus start with that? Because for the religious leaders of the day, that's exactly what they thought the Messiah was going to do. They thought the Messiah would swoop in and destroy all the sinners and all that would be left would be the Pharisees and Sadducees and those who had kept the law to a T. But instead of Jesus swooping in and destroying all the sinners, Jesus swoops in and he befriends the sinners and he dines with the sinners and he loves the sinners and he forgives the sinners, not because he's okay with their sin. In fact, he, he's very clear that sinners must repent and turn to him and turn from their sin. But the strategy that Jesus used was different than that of the religious establishment. Uh, the strategy for the religious leaders was condemnation and guilt and shame. The Bible says that Jesus' strategy is kindness, to actually go into their lives and dine with them. Where the religious leaders shamed people because of their sin, Jesus welcomed sinners. Again, not because he was okay with their sin, but because he knew if people would just walk with him, then people would turn from their sin and follow him. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed the, the invalid, and then he said, don't sin anymore. He touched him first, and then he said, now repent. In John chapter 8, we find the story with a woman caught in adultery, and, and they bring the woman to Jesus, and they say she should be stoned according to the law. And Jesus says, uh, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And then in uh, John 8, 10, I love this. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, because they had all left, said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see what happens in that last verse? He tells her, I want you to leave your life of sin, but not on the foundation of condemnation. He says, I'm not here to condemn you, but I do want you to leave your life of sin. Now, why? Is this so important? Why is it so important to understand that Jesus wanted people to repent because of his mercy and his grace? It's so important to understand because Jesus said the same way that he was sent, 
That's how you've been sent. So I'll kind of spell it out. You've not been sent into the world to condemn the world, but to point to, uh, people to the salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to make a statement you don't hear often on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm going to say it very carefully. I want you to befriend sinners. And I want you to dine with sinners, not because you're okay with, your, with their sin, but because you hold the answer to their sin. If you dine with them, don't start by telling them all about their sin. That's where the church often goes wrong, is we want to tell people all about their sin. But what we're supposed to do is tell them all about Jesus. That's all we have to do. The Holy Spirit will convict them. Now, if I, I want to add a caveat to that. Um, I'm not telling you to go hang with the wrong crowd, uh, especially graduates this morning. That's like the only thing to walk away with. Go to college. Pastor said, find the wrong crowd and dive right in. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, and I'm especially not saying if there's a sin that you struggle with, that you find someone who's just given over to that sin who's going to drag you right down. But what I'm saying is one of the problems with Christians today, no offense, this is me too, is they're only friends with Christians. And the problem with that is Christians don't need to be converted. Jesus said in the same way that God has sent him, he is sending his disciples, his followers. And that means that we befriend the lost. And we dine with the lost and we love the lost, not because we approve of anything that they're doing, but because we love them enough to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Church, can you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and if you're comfortable with it, I'm going to ask you to place your hands in front of you as if you're receiving something. Um, and I just want to pray over you. Lord, my prayer this morning is for anyone in this place that is in the spiritual doldrums, in a place, God, where we're not experiencing the movement of your spirit, the, the breath, the wind of your spirit within us, Lord, and, and we feel that we're in a dry, stagnant season, Lord, I pray that you would begin to stir your spirit inside of them. Even right now, God, I pray that your spirit would begin to stir and to move inside of us. Now, church, as Renee leads us, I'm going to ask you just to invite the Holy Spirit to stir within you pray that the wind of God, the breath of God, would begin to stir in your spirit. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. I pray that when we do leave this place today, that we, we walk in our calling, that we have been sent, God, by you. That we walk under that mantle and that banner, Lord, of who we are in you. Thank you for your presence. I pray that you stay with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, uh, we're going to take just a few minutes to kind of transition here and get set up. Uh, if you want to hang out for a bit, five minutes, 
about five minutes. We'll just, if you want to be part of the, the ceremony, it'll be right in here again. Uh, so grab some coffee. Give three high fives if you get bored. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.